You're listening to the Modern Web Podcast. For more podcasts, videos, and events, find us online at modern-web.org or follow us on Twitter at modern.web. That's M-O-D-E-R-N-D-O-T-W-E-B. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Modern Web Podcast. I'm your host, Rob O'Sell. I'm a developer at this.labs. My co-host today is Jake Dome. He's a developer at GoodWork. And uh, today, we are very excited to talk about updates in Vue.js. And we're even more excited to have a member of the Vue.js core team and just all-around awesome person, Chris Fritz, here today uh, to talk to us about that. So Chris, how are you doing today? Hi. It, that is part of my official intro. I request to be introduced as all-around awesome person. No, I'm, I'm, <laughs> That's I'm good. Kidding. That was very kind of you. Thank you. It, yeah, you didn't offer much in your in your in your rider, but that was one of them, and we were happy to oblige. <laughs> so, all right. So, without much uh, much you know much more introduction, I mean, let's get started. Um, you know, maybe we'll just start with uh, View two point six, which is kind of recent. Um, why don't you kind of give us some updates there, kind of like what was that about? Like what what is in it and kind of how does that maybe tie into some of the stuff that's coming down the road? Great. Well, as as with any release, you know, we always have uh, you know, fixes and performance improvements and things like that. That's always fun. Uh, one of the biggest features that we have in Vue 2.6 is the new uh, vSlot directive, which simplifies um, slots, particularly like name slots and scope slots, just to, to make people's lives a, a little bit easier. Uh, th there were a, a lot of issues that people had, particularly with scope slots before, where it was a, it was a little bit confusing and we're trying to alleviate some of that confusion and um, provide essentially like a more, a more unified um, interface, like two slots. And, awesome. and also out of that, like one of the one of the things that came out of that discussion, which is also now in Vue 2.6, is dynamic directive arguments. So for example, when you want like a, a dynamic event name or a dynamic uh, like attribute binding, like that is now possible within templates, which is pretty cool. Yeah, it's a really nice feature. Yeah, it's what one fewer situation where you might need to uh, drop down to a render function to get, you know, a, a little bit more of a dynamic template. Yeah, we don't want to be too like those React guys and be writing render functions. So uh, the, no, I mean, the most we can stay out of that. No, I'm totally kidding. But yeah, no, no, no. It's not. <laughs> it's, it's not. It's not bashing React or anything. Um, but it, render functions like are very useful when you want the the full. Um, the full power of JavaScript, uh, but yeah, people on the on the core team tend to prefer to write templates like ninety five percent of the time. And one of the big reasons is there's generally only one right way to write a template, and so it's just like less you have to think about, and definitely less bike shedding about you know coming up with with compromises between switching back and forth between a, a declarative and imperative programming style because. JavaScript is mostly like an, an imperative programming language. Awesome. Can, can you go into a little bit about 
So you have Vue 2.6, and it kind of has some of these features that are backwards compatible that are going to be kind of expounded on in Vue 3. Um, but I'm really kind of, just so people can have some confidence, when you guys release something that's like a 2.6 or a 2.7 versus a 3.0, can you kind of explain a little bit more about what that means to the Vue team and kind of like some of the guarantees of whether it's safe for people to just upgrade day one or whether they should wait or whether they'll need a tool or you know these types of things? Yeah, great question. So uh, what's different from a, a 3.0, like a major version bump, rather than minor versions like 2.6, 2.7, 2.8, 2.8, we're making breaking changes. So that means you can't count on upgrading your code or upgrading to the, to the latest version and just having everything automatically work. There will be some updates, at least for some people, to their code in order for everything to, to work the same as it did. Uh, but like something that um, is is a little bit different in the the view team um, as opposed to you know just like not every software project is like this is a lot of the people who are working on the framework are actually like using it day to day, uh, including myself to build real projects, and it's actually a huge pain to us personally. <laughs> If view like migrating to view three is a big problem, uh, and we'll take like a week or you know a couple of weeks to to migrate, and so migrating from view one to view two to make that easier, um, I wrote a migration guide of like all the things that you need to do uh, to to upgrade, uh, including like more details on you know when this pattern was before possible and it'll still work but this new pattern like is is probably a better choice now you know for a particular problem and also the view migration helper uh which for view one to view two scanned your code base and told you about the the vast majority of the things that you'd need to change in order to upgrade to view two and we're we're doing the same kind of thing for view three uh, except, whereas, you know, we our goal was to take like a migration that might have otherwise taken maybe a week, and uh, shorten that to about five hours, you know, for a large application. Um, for view three, uh, we want the migration helper to help you upgrade your code base in more like five minutes, so that we'll not only tell you about things that need to change, but can offer to make those changes for you automatically. You know, in the cases where we can um, we can infer like user intent, and there that's that's most cases. That's really really cool. I love the dedication you guys have to smoothing the upgrade path because I know that's a really big thing for a lot of people, and it just helps you get users on the latest, which is great for you, great for your users, gets everybody better performance quickly and things like that. Yeah, for, for us, it's ultimately selfish. Like not only do we have <laughs> you know, like fewer versions that we have to support you know, by making it easier for people to be in the latest versions, uh, but, and by the way, we, we will still be supporting you know, Vue2.x you know, for the foreseeable future. Um, but you know, since we are building stuff with Vue all the time, it makes our lives easier. Like we are the end user. <laughs> So if the yeah. end user has a bad experience, we have a bad experience. Yeah, that's awesome. 
So before we talk about view three, there are kind of three um, versions of view that I'm watching right now. View two, which is view 2.6 is the newest. View three, which will be out sometime and uh, view two next. So can you tell us a little bit about what um, that is? And I guess there's a next release for each 2.0 release. Yeah. So. The, the, the we're still we're still working out exactly what the the, the next will be, but I mean mm -hmm. one of the possibilities that we're thinking about now, and and this should be feasible, is for View Three, um, basically having a version of View Three that switches out the reactivity system, so that people can still use um, like all the latest features of View Three, except for. Um, you know, still using a, a reactivity system that's more similar to what we have currently in Vue 2.x, um, which will make it compatible with like the same browsers that that we support now, uh, and we won't have to worry about um, like supporting uh, or, or backporting necessarily like all the features that uh, we would need to otherwise to, to 2.x. But we're still we're still figuring that out. And either way, we want to provide like a great experience for everybody, no matter what browsers they have to support, uh, and giving them the maximum features possible. Yeah. Awesome. Um, so I think we're probably ready to talk about view three. So mm -hmm. before we jump into the kind of nitty gritty, the things that have changed, um, I know a little bit ago, Evan was talking about how it was in private development because it was brought up. And uh, what's kind of the reasoning there? Have you found it to be really helpful to keep it in private development? Um, I know you guys have a public RFC process, which seems mm -hmm. to be kind of helping out with some of the things that uh, some of the questions people had about keeping it in private development. Yeah, so at, at github.com slash Vue.js slash RFCs, uh, you can see public RFCs where we where we discuss things in public, uh, and I don't I don't know if uh, you all have the same experience, but uh, when you're at work and you have a meeting, uh, do you usually invite the entire internet? <laughs> no. <laughs> Why not? Yeah, there's a, lo a lot of opinions to handle if you do. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I mean, it, you can often have a more productive discussion, uh, especially when you're still working out things like feasibility. Um, where you know you're working out a lot of details that a very limited number of people even have the information to like contribute to that discussion. So uh, for for these kinds of things, we find it more useful to limit discussion to the core team and you know some like library authors and other people in the ecosystem and like um, other teams uh, that develop like other tooling. You know, for example, like the TypeScript team. Uh, so that we can we can narrow the conversation to the people who are most likely to be able to like contribute really effectively. Um, but then, before making any like final decisions on on a lot of things, you know, we open things up to a public RFC process so that we can we can get that feedback from the community, which is also extremely valuable. And we find that like this is this is a great compromise for us that helps us. Um, like be very productive and also um, like get feedback from all the people that we need to get feedback from, including you know general users. 
Great. And, and, then, and eventually, like once more of the feasibility, um, you know, questions are, are solved, you know, we will be opening up the, the view three repo for, you know, anyone to see and comment on and give feedback on just like view two now. Great. Yeah. So for people that are concerned uh, or not concerned, but for people that just, you know, they have an application and they, they have an, you know, they're invested in the future of you just, you know, just as much as any other program, they want to be able to have a seat at the table. They want to be able to see how this might impact what they're doing and give feedback about their pain points. And that's what that, that's what that RFC proposal gives them. So people shouldn't mm -hmm. feel like everything's behind closed stores, take it or leave it, you definitely know, it, definitely people will still be involved. And that's awesome. And, and people are, yeah. Great. People, saw, people are actively taking part in those discussions and helping us make view better. Yeah, and I think that happened uh, with the 2.6 release and uh, scope slots and the changes you made there. That went yeah. through uh, RFC process, and I know I was reading up on all of that and seeing and thumbs upping and thumbs downing issues and things like that. Hopefully, mostly thumbs upping. But uh, yeah, I know I was able to take part in that. I was glad to see kind of what was coming and be able to weigh in and talk about how it affected me and the apps that I write. Yeah, that, that's a great example of where we we actually, you know, started a lot of that discussion privately. And then once we had some of the more like feasibility or some of the bigger questions like answered, we opened up the discussion and you know, the the feature pretty drastically changed from, you know, when we initially proposed it to what it what it ended up as in the end. Awesome. Yeah. So one of the one of the interesting developments in Vue 3, and honestly, one of the more interesting developments in the last half year or year or so is the degree to which all of this tension around typing in JavaScript suddenly exploded. And it just feels like everybody has jumped two feet in with TypeScript. And 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 a lot of tools, a lot of frameworks are moving that way. Um, kind of curious to hear what views approach using typing and TypeScript is for Vue 3 and what maybe their opinion is about what people should do on their own projects. Like if Vue embraces TypeScript, does that mean that they're saying that people should be embracing TypeScript on their product on their projects? Will it work without it? And things like that for people that are concerned. Yeah, great question. Well, first I, I want to say that uh, Vue 3 being written in TypeScript uh, actually doesn't really affect users at all, whether they're writing TypeScript or not. Uh, so like for, for Vue 2 in our code base for a long time, uh, we've been using Flow for typings. And that's probably something that most people didn't know about because they've never had to know about it. It doesn't affect them. <laughs> so it's really just for, for our development process. Um, I personally find uh, TypeScript and you know, typings in general to be very useful in libraries. Like when you have a well-defined problem, um, like the the typings can make it easier to contribute and easier to maintain. So I, I really like TypeScript for libraries for applications. Uh, there are more trade offs I find. You know, so for example, for people who don't have a lot of experience with, uh, you know, a strongly typed language like C sharp or JavaScript for or, or Java for example, then. What I've seen is people often struggle a lot uh, to make the type system happy. Uh, and a lot of the patterns that they're used to being able to use, these very dynamic patterns that you know, are very common in JavaScript, aren't as good a fit in TypeScript because they're very hard to type. 
in many cases and, and can cause a lot of extra work or force people to use a slightly different pattern that works better with TypeScript. Great. And I, I've personally found it more useful to, in many applications, at least for these teams who aren't, who aren't used to these languages, uh, to spend that time like writing unit tests rather than fighting with the type system. Yeah, that's a great point. <laughs> because the vast, vast majority of bugs like that, that I experience in applications are not type bugs. And when you have, when you have like quickly changing uh, expectations, when you have quickly changing specifications requirements, uh, like you do in many projects, which is typically very different from libraries, then sometimes those more dynamic patterns like can be really useful. Great. And so the, the general gist of this is that just because Vue is embracing TypeScript, I mean, that's kind of something that is useful for contributors to the project. It obviously will integrate really well with IDEs. But if people are currently using Flow for their current project, if they're using TypeScript, they're using nothing, realistically, this change shouldn't affect their decision of whether to upgrade or it won't cause them any pressures or issues with their upgrade to Vue 3. No, really, the, the biggest difference for us is like right now we we maintain um, like separate typings for TypeScript, uh, which is not only used for people who use TypeScript, uh, but also for tooling like in VS Code so that you can get, you know, whether you're using TypeScript or regular JavaScript, uh, you can still get really nice um, like uh, auto completion and uh, you can you can get some some extra information about the interface uh, within the, the editor. And writing it in TypeScript just means that we don't have to maintain those manual anymore. So, <laughs> so that's easier. That's awesome. Well, great. Well, so other things, like as far as like the features of kind of where the Vue community is going, the features they've asked you guys about and that are starting to be incorporated into Vue 3, like I'm sure you have your own. Two that jumped out to me, the concept of portals and fragments are really cool. I like that a lot. I don't know if you want to speak maybe at a high level, and then maybe you can pull it into Vue 3, just kind of like where you've seen the Vue community and the kind of the issues that they're dealing with and some of the things that you guys are addressing with Vue 3. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess, first of all, in terms of fragments, um, like the, the big thing to note is that uh, we will not have the restriction that we have in Vue 2, where for components, you need to have a single root node, which means in some cases where you need to return, where you want to return like a, a list of elements, you find yourself having to like wrap them in a div or something like that, um, which, is, which is annoying. Um, and like in the, in the React world, that problem is solved by, by fragments. But really, I, I feel like the ideal solution would be um, not having like any special feature for that, having it just work. So when you like have more than one root node in a template, that just compiles to like an array of elements. <laughs> and you can just like return an array of uh, you know nodes when you're writing a render function. Because uh, we, we already have like we already have an abstraction for a list of things, like an ordered list of things. And so I, I don't feel like we need to invent a new one. So yeah, that's I why I, I, um, I, I kind of veer away talking about like fragments specifically, you know, 
because I, I don't I don't think we need a new feature for that. I, I think we can just make it work. Yeah, I agree. I, I but I think like one of the things that's great about it is is one of the knocks, especially recently, is just this concept of like the div soup, like the gigantic list of unnecessary and non-semantic tags that are just created because various frameworks might require that base root element. And I just like that idea, um, as I do in other frameworks as well, that you know people don't have to feel constrained to, to, to an arbitrary, con you know, they don't have to change their syntax or their, their, their HTML just to suit sort of an arbitrary constraint. Yeah, in general, like what we try to do in, in Vue, and especially with Vue 3, where we have an opportunity to make breaking changes, is we want to limit the number of things that developers have to think about and limit the, uh, the cases where like you have to solve a problem rather than the framework solving it for you just automatically. And then you can just focus on the problems that are specific to your application. And so we're we're continuing to try to do that, uh, and you know that example of like removing that limitation is is one example of that. Uh, there are some other things that we're trying to do. So for like um, transparent wrapper components, uh, which is basically like whenever you have some kind of like base input component, like wherever you're going to have you know an input, you want to use this component because it has like special styles on it and maybe some special behavior. Um, you know, so it's like a super powered input element. And whenever you have inputs, you're going to use this. Um, making these components work exactly like the element, you know, in terms of it accepting all the same attributes and all the same uh, listeners uh, as a normal input element takes a little bit of ceremony right now in Vue 2 uh, so that you know it, it might it might be like 30 lines just for the boilerplate of like getting all that working uh, and we hope to limit that down to basically one line in Vue 3 which is pretty cool uh, and also removing some of the things that are more implicit so that, you know, again, because anything implicit is something that you have to kind of keep in your head and moving towards more and more explicitness. You know, so for example, uh, there's a, a dot .native modifier currently in Vue 2. And the problem with using the dot .native modifier is it listens for a native event rather than like one of our, our custom events uh, on the root element of uh, whatever like component you're listening to. And that assumes a couple of things. First, that there is a single root element, which even for view two, like that's not true for every component. So for, for functional components that use a render function, they can actually return an array of nodes right. instead of a single one. Uh, and it also assumes that uh, like that, that root element won't change significantly. So let's go back to our input example. If we're using .native on a parent component to listen for like a change event on the input or a blur event, whatever, and then we decide to refactor our, our input element or input component to wrap it in a label. So now the label is the root element and if you try to listen for a change or a blur event, like none of this is going to work anymore. 
but there's no indication inside of that like base input component that something like is relying on a very specific root element for this component. And so, you know, we're, we have new patterns planned. I'll be talking about uh, some of these and, and showing them off a little bit at, at UConf US uh, coming up very soon, uh, which, which will be pretty exciting. And yeah, just, just like making, making things simpler for developers and like reducing the number of concepts that they have to learn and keep in their head. Yeah, and just making it easier to do your job. That's, that's what we wanna do. Yeah, that's really awesome. That's one of the things that drew me to view too, coming from an HTML, CSS background and not knowing as much JavaScript. I really, with Vue's template syntax and the way that their directives and listeners work, it was the concepts were close enough for me that as a fairly uh, junior and new developer, I could kind of yeah. pick up Vue. And so I really love hearing about reducing these things, making it so, you know, like with that uh, dot .native event, something that is a little hard to test for probably, a little harder to, um, there's a little bit more magic there and how that works. and. Sometimes that can be good to abstract away some of that pain, but I love hearing about how you guys are focusing on how easy it is to pick up, how easy it is for a new developer or whoever to jump into a code base and understand yeah. what's happening. So that's that's really awesome. Yeah, so we're, we're trying to find ways, and so far we're, we're I think we've, we're being pretty successful in finding ways to like limit the number of things that you have to think about and also like just making the code simpler. So like, we're not just removing features, we're making things work for you automatically whenever we can, and also making it easier to implement those features, uh, you know, implement that same behavior and solve the same kind of problem right. than it was even before. Yeah, yeah, well, that's really awesome. Uh, one thing that piqued my interest when I was looking through the uh, new things coming to view three was classes and how that's going to impact how people generally write their components. Um, the main question that kind of came to my mind is, is that going to be uh, sort of the new standard or is that a new um, avenue to write components, but maybe equal or um, just a complement to the current uh, template syntax? Um, so I'd love to, you know, or the current, uh, you know, you do like view.component or you yeah. load them in from a single file component with view load or whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic question. So. Uh, in the in the docs, the default syntax that you're going to see will still be the object-based syntax. Um, you know that's that's not going to change. Um, but we do offer the classes for people who prefer that kind of interface. Uh, and um, classes have a few advantages in terms of uh, TypeScript, where uh, it'll be easier to type a lot of the things in your components using the class-based interface rather than using the object-based, like options object, uh, if that makes sense. Yeah, for sure. Um, and so something, an improvement to our docs that we're planning, sorry, sorry, one second. No. <laughs> <laughs> improvement to our docs that we're planning is um, we want all of the examples to be configurable so that you can switch back and forth between the different environments that you want where you know you can choose i i want to see the options syntax the options based syntax like or the object based syntax versus the class based syntax 
Um, or I want to see a TypeScript environment, or I want to see an environment with like modern JS, for example, compiled with JavaScript, or I want to see plain ES5 examples. And the plain ES5 with the object-based syntax, you know, that will work in like every supported browser is still going to be the default so that we have that really gentle learning curve. And for the people who are using a, a more advanced environment, it'll be as simple as like flipping a switch on the page and then we'll remember your choice. That's really awesome. That sounds really incredible. I can't wait to see that. Because you know, a lot of times you get linked to an example and uh, it, it might be exactly what you're looking for, but it's not quite in a format that you know, or you're like, hey, yeah, I'm trying to do this, but I'm trying to do it with uh, my code base, which is done this way, or it's typed, or it's not typed, or it's ES5 and you don't have Babel running. And so it's more overhead to try to figure out how to, you know, turn the object that returns a function to, you know, the shorthand uh, ES6 syntax for that. I know a lot of people have ran into that. So I'm excited to see that kind of made even easier for people. Yeah, so we'll be using the same tooling for that that we're developing for the migration helper. Cool. Uh, so, so we'll be able to do all automatic. sorts of things. Yeah, yeah. So, so wow. it'll it'll not only be able to like you know write your code for you in many cases, but you know we'll we'll get these dynamic examples, and there are probably even more uses for it that we haven't even imagined yet. So I have a question um, about classes, and it is. How does it change, if at all, the relationship to things like mixins and directives and plugins? Is there any difference in the way that, like, if people are maintaining their own private set of of those types of objects, does that change at all when they have to start considering interfacing with class-based things, or will the proposal for classes sort of weave those in in basically the same way as the object syntax? No, in some cases there will be there will be some changes uh, in the way that you'll you'll develop some of these features. Uh, for example, I, and, and we're, we're, I want to make it clear that a lot of this is still like in very active development uh, and evolving. And there, there's a lot of discussion every single day uh, about these this syntax. So it it is subject to and, and will continue to evolve. Um, but like the, the way that uh, like methods, for example, will likely be um, implemented in the class-based syntax is they will just be methods on the class, you know, rather than having like a special method section, um, you know, in, inside of an object. And the way that computed properties uh, will be implemented will probably just be getters. So you'll say get the name of your computed property. And then you'll define the, the function for that getter. And similarly, like for, uh, for data, um, you know, we're thinking about allowing you to uh, just define like a property on the class and having that be data. And that, that also makes it easier to type uh, for, for TypeScript. Uh, and similarly for, uh, for some options, uh, you know, they can they can be static properties, mm -hmm. and cool. some of these some of these features of classes are still uh, evolving and finalizing in the spec. You know, so a big part of how they will eventually evolve uh, in terms of what we implement for Vue is 
uh, how the, the spec itself continues to develop and how like browser support continues to develop uh, and how you know, implementations of these features within Babel and TypeScript continues to evolve. You know, so we're, we're balancing all of these things. We don't want to rely on features that are unstable mm -hmm. for you to just like use basic view features. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think so. And so like if, I mean, cause like Vuex is one of the big libraries, right? That, that, um, that you guys maintain, but there might be people that are maintaining their own private versions of smaller versions of things like that, where they're, they're, you know, like they're doing these mix-ins, they're doing these plugins. To your understanding, I, obviously it's in active development, but like, will people need to be aware of whether their um, users or their third-party libraries are using class-based components versus object-based components? Like after it compiles down, it should just sort of be all the same, right? It just depends on what you're using or is that not accurate? I guess I'm just trying to understand yeah. for people how they need to know, not necessarily how, how class-based syntax will change the components they control, but maybe how aware they'll have to be about whether some library they pull in that gives them some off-the-shelf components, whether they're using that syntax or not. Yeah, obviously, I mean, we want to limit the number of cases where library authors like have to consider more variables. Like that's part of, you know, just like reducing the number of things that people have to think about. Uh, but there, there may be some cases where you know, we, we just can't get around that. Um, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see. Okay, cool. Great. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. Um, one thing that we haven't talked about that I'm extremely excited about in Vue 3 and that I mentioned earlier when talking about the upgrade path is performance. And I saw a pretty bold claim on one of these uh, websites about Vue 3. I think it was Evan's article said a hundred percent performance increase across the board, which yeah. seems really, really awesome. A faster startup, a lighter bundle. Um, so do you want to talk about maybe a little bit of how that was done and maybe not too deeply, um, yeah. but uh, how that's done, how that's going to affect users? Um, let's see. Yeah. I, I don't know if I could, uh, talk not deeply about how it's done. Uh, and, and honestly, some of it, um, you know, some of it uh, I had, um, you know, I, I just haven't even looked at how it's done because I was not involved in it at all and haven't yeah. needed, there hasn't been any need to like document or, or discuss any part of it. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, generally, generally speaking, twice as fast, um, half as big. So view three is is generally uh, a Daft Punk song, uh, harder, better, faster, stronger. Except to replace harder with easier. <laughs> I love it. That's awesome. Yeah, I'm really excited to, for people to start seeing those performance uh, gains in their apps when view three comes out. It'll uh, be a game changer in a lot of ways, just to reduce people's yeah uh, yeah boot up time, get time to interactive to much faster. Yeah. Uh, one of the things I was really excited about was uh, with the reactivity system, lazy evaluation with proxies, um, or lazy observation with proxies, where not all of your data <clears throat> will be observed on initial boot up, but only the data that you're using in your initial view or whatever you render initially. And that's one kind of, I think, performance win and something yeah. I was really interesting with and how the new proxy system for uh, reactivity is going to work. Yeah, proxies open up a lot of opportunities for 
uh, for wins like that. Yeah, that's really neat. And I guess so part of the three, uh, the performance gains in Vue 3 will be related to being able to modernize parts of the code base. And uh, like with proxies, proxies will be the default uh, reactivity system. But mm -hmm. for three, we'll also be working in IE 11, browsers like that, which don't support proxies. So I guess some of those um, performance wins will be opt-in or you'll get in newer browsers where they're available, but you guys are still supporting IE 11 and um, you know different feature sets for different browsers. Exactly. Yeah. So for that with uh, you know the proxy reactivity system, Will that be something that you kind of pick your version of view? You know, you pick the view three or you pick the view three. I don't know what it's going to be called, but whatever uh, version works with more legacy browsers. Um, will you be able to do something that we've talked about before on the podcast where you do like the no module um, and serve the newer version to newer browsers and the older version of view to older browsers? Or is that kind of opt in for your application? Yeah, there's there's definitely opportunity to to do something like that where you can serve the newer version to newer browsers and the older version to older browsers, um, but there will still be some things that you'll have to do in your code um, to cover the the caveats of the reactivity system um, because you won't be able to rely on your users like using the newer reactivity system. Does that make okay. sense? Yeah. So because... you'll still have to build your code as if you, all of your users are using the old re reactivity system if you want to support those older browsers. Got it, because the new reactivity system removes a few of the gotchas that were in the old one um, with settings. Removes all of the gotchas. Okay, so it's yeah. just, yeah, 100% works. 100% just works, yeah. That's, that's really awesome. Because That's I've one of the reasons we're so excited things. about it, yeah. Yeah, that's really neat. So you'll still be able to get the performance wins with the new reactivity system, but not the uh, kind of stability if you're using the older version of Vue 3 or the, um, what are you guys calling that? Is there a name for that yet? Um, the Vue 3 with a different reactivity system, I guess that's okay. what I'm <laughs> usually calling it, but okay. we'll probably have like a better name for it uh, eventually. Cool, need a cool name for it. Yeah. Do you sure. have any suggestions? No, I don't. I'll get back to you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, maybe maybe we'll call it the compat build or something like that. You know, compatibility build. Uh huh. Yeah, that's cool enough. It's not really cool. It's descriptive, <laughs> but uh. Yeah. Yeah. We'll work on it. We'll workshop. We'll it. call it the xenon build. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds cool, right? It does. OK, well, I'd love to pivot out of the specifics about Vue 3 and maybe into the general sort of as we kind of come to the back half or the back part of this uh, podcast. And one of the things that I've always loved about Vue and why I've always suggested it um, is sort of highlighted by this report I saw by Monorail, which I thought was really cool. Mm -hmm. Basically said that of the people they surveyed, 92% of the people would use Vue again. Chris, you'd love to hear this, that 94% of the people that they surveyed used the official documentation. So that's a, that's a huge win. And 58% of the people said they used it due to its ease of adoption, right? And one of the things that I love a lot about Vue is the Vue CLI. And one of the best parts of the Vue CLI that I actually just recently found out was actually released is the GUI. And I just think that this is phenomenal. 
as far as reducing the friction for not only people to get yeah. into using Vue, but people just to do web development, period. Right? Yeah. Like it's 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 not crazy that we require command line competence in web development, but it, it doesn't have to be a thing that is required for people to get into doing things um, to the degree to which it is now. And so, you know, I just think in general the thesis and the question here is, you know, it's it must be uh, intentional that this is part of Vue's strategy to really, you know, be there for people and to be easy to adopt and to kind of reduce that friction. Is that an intentional part of the strategy and you know, what other elements of that strategy as far as, as Vue continues to grow its community, you know, what yeah. kind of things are you guys pursuing? I, absolutely. I mean, we, like, our, our, our primary mission is to, like, increase developer happiness because that's, that's what leads to, like, great apps and that's what leads to, like, people wanting to come to work tomorrow which means they're not going to like jump ship and work somewhere else. Like, and they're, they're going to be like motivated to come up with, you know, like beautiful applications and clever solutions. Um, and, and this is definitely part of that, uh, you know, making developers happier. Whenever you have, you know, some kind of command line interface that you have to memorize, you're basically like keeping all of that in your head instead of being able to see what's on there. You know, it's sort of like an, if you were building a website, uh, forcing the user to memorize like all of the different kinds of buttons and then just like type in keywords, <laughs> you know, for like login. It's like, oh, login didn't work. Maybe I'll try sign in. <laughs> you know, that would be a terrible, that would be a terrible experience, but that's often the experience of like working on the command line and also in working in like configuration files. So let's say for example, you know, you're using ESLint in your project. And you are, uh, you know, looking at, you know, enabling rules or, you know, you're looking at some of the rules that are currently there and thinking about whether you want to keep them. But the thing is, just looking at the rules, you're not necessarily sure what they do. And you're not sure what options they take. And you're not sure, where, like, where you can find out more about them. And so this is an example where, again, in the, the Vue CLI UI, um, we try to help out, uh, and this is uh, the the UI was was built by uh, Guillaume Chow, and sort of he came up with the idea as well uh, on, on the core team. Uh, beautiful, amazing. The first time he sh he showed me some initial screenshots, uh, I was blown away. Uh, I yeah, it, it seems so obvious once you see it, but before you see it, we take for granted that this is just how life has to be. <laughs> So in, oh. in like an ESLint configuration file, like you can get a list of like all of the rules that you can add that are specific to Vue, uh, including descriptions of like what the rules do, um, and you can you can have like uh, select boxes and things like that. So you can choose to turn them on and like turn them on with different kinds of settings. You know, so all of this like makes your life a lot easier. Um, it tells you the information that you're missing right away, rather than you having to memorize the entire interface or keep looking it up. And when you do want to see more, more information and more examples, uh, there are links like directly to the documentation for each specific rule that you can go and click on and, and find out more immediately. Yeah, it really is powerful. And not to be specific about the tool, but just to give a sense, like even if you've never used Vue one day in your life, if you're a React developer, Angular developer, whatever framework or whatever approach you take, just fire it up. 
<laughs> because you'll be amazed the inspiration it might give you, especially if you're a person that likes building libraries and tools for whatever framework you use, use it, play with it, see it. I mean, the ability that it has to like run your builds and to show you the status of your builds and to launch your server and to open your browser to the server so you don't have to understand ports even and how to read the port out of all the things that puke out. The idea that eventually that could pull in things like your Webpack Bundle Explorer or vis you know, visualizations and, you know, I don't know what I, I don't even know what, you guys probably have crazier ideas than we can think of, but um, super awesome. And I just think like that is so great for the community. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I agree. And so, something else built into Vue CLI that uh, we talked about a little bit earlier. Uh, Jake, you were, you were talking about having separate builds for, um, you know, using the the latest reactivity system for Vue three, and and you know, also supporting the uh, the other browsers with a, a dumber reactivity system. So in in Vue CLI already for for Vue two, uh, we have a build mode called uh, modern mode, and in modern mode, we actually produce two different bundles: the modern bundle that is served to all of the uh, all of the evergreen browsers that uh, support uh, so many modern features, and also the legacy bundle, uh, which is basically served to Internet Explorer. <laughs> so that way, like you're not in a situation where you have to bundle all of these polyfills uh, and um, all of this, all of these implementations of native features that you know Babel or TypeScript gives you just in case you need to like actually uh it, just in case the browser doesn't support those features natively um you can instead deliver a slimmer bundle to those modern browsers that will also run faster because you can use these native implementations of features that can be better optimized by the browsers instead of these um these implementations uh, have to be built into the code and, and shipped with it that the browser can't optimize for as well. Awesome. And sort of, you know, at Modern Web, we love talking about communities. We love talking about, um, you know, the ways that are, you know, that we are just a community of developers around the world and just tackling the problems that we have. So one of the things that has always struck me is, about Vue, and I love this, and I don't know if you want to speak to it at all or just sort of highlight it, is that if you go to the list of core team members on the Vue.js website, you will see almost, it seems like, every single language from around the world, just a wide array and diversity of voices and different people that are involved in this project and communities. And I think that net expands even more widely if you start talking about things like the Vue CLI and the Vuex and all the other sort of, you know, sort of closely tied things. So I don't know if you want to say anything about like, what that does for Vue as a framework, as a community, to just have such great international support and adoption of the library and just such a wide variety of people involved? Yeah. So I, we have, last, last I counted, which was a while ago, so I'm sure this is out of date. Um, but last I checked, we had um, like core team members in 12 different countries across nine different time zones. Uh, so we, we are truly the the team that never sleeps um, and is also never fully awake. So that there's there are two sides of that. <laughs> We're always a little bit drowsy. <laughs> um, 
So, uh, yeah, that that is really exciting. I mean, we get not only a, a ton of different perspectives, um, you know, culturally, uh, but we we really get to work on things like all over the place, and we get to draw from so many different communities, uh, which yeah, I, I just find very useful. I, I can't remember. I think it was Alan Kay, who the, the computer scientist who said that a change in perspective is worth eighty IQ points. And I think that's really true. Um, like just having a new perspective in the conversation can uh, like give you way more than just having like a genius in the conversation. Awesome. Well, that's awesome. And that's, I think that's a really great place for us to stop there. So that's a really great note to, to end on. So uh, that's it for today, everybody. Thank you so much. Really wish this could have gone on for hours, but uh, uh, thanks for listening to the Modern Web Podcast. And thank you, Chris, for joining us to talk about VIEW. Um, as always, the conversation doesn't have to stop here. You can find Chris on Twitter at Chris V. Fritz. So that's C-H-R-I-S-V-F-R-I-T-Z. And I think you can also find them in two weeks in Tampa at ViewConf US. So if you don't already have your tickets or if you can't make it, I I'm pretty sure probably stuff will be online. So you can definitely hear about all the latest updates and even more cool stuff that you can do with Vue just coming up in a couple weeks. So you don't, you don't have to wait super long. I um, also want to thank my co-host, Jake. Uh, you can find him online at Jake Dome. That's J-A-K-E-D-O-H-N. Uh, and you can find me online at Robocell. That's R-O-B-O-C-E-L-L. You can also find us online at moderndotweb.com or on Twitter at modern.web. And so that's it for today, everybody. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for having me. This podcast is sponsored by NativeScript. Want to use your web skills to build iOS and Android apps? Try NativeScript. NativeScript is an open source framework for building native mobile apps using technologies you already know like JavaScript, Angular, or Vue. Learn more at nativescript.org slash modernweb. This podcast is sponsored by this.labs, a framework agnostic consultancy that specializes in JavaScript. You can find them at this.co slash labs. That's T-H-I-S-D-O-T dot C-O slash labs.